You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, Nathan and Matt, to the fifth episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, and thank you, listener, for joining us once again. In fact, over 250 of you guys are listening every single week across all of our podcasting platforms, and if just real quick, you want to take a moment and give us a positive interaction, either a five-star review, a like, a subscription, whatever that looks like on your platform, that helps us reach more people through the podcast. And in fact, we have one foreign listener we have somebody who is listening all the way in poland right now so to our poland audience we say thank you for being here that's the perfect segue to today's topic we're actually talking about beings separated by large bodies of water so to our polish listener across the atlantic i don't even i'm not even sure what that's referencing in today's episode but i know that i can always count on nathan van horn to deliver not just good biblical counsel, but also great segues. Well, we do want to move into the text, and we're going to be in Genesis 2-1 today. Well, good. Uh, I'm glad that we're finally at the end of Genesis 1. I feel like I've gotten a real good handle on the content of Genesis 1, thanks to you guys. Well, you only think you're at the end of Genesis 1, because actually, because of medieval trans translators we genesis 1 the content of genesis 1 actually goes through genesis 2 verse number 3 so that's just a, a translation issue and stuff like that but genesis 2 1 that we're going to look at today is actually going to tell you and it's going to show us that we've only talked about half the story of genesis 1 and genesis 2 1 is going to help us see the other half so gandalf why don't you read that first as we get started all right. And just to remind the listener, we are reading from the ESV version of the Bible if you want to follow along. Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. All right. So what, what we really want to focus on in today's episode is this one word, uh, the word host. It's from the Hebrew word sabah. And Typically what we do uh, when we read Genesis 1-1 following, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, is we read that account and we focus overwhelmingly on the earth, the earthly uh, domain and the earthly inhabitants, land, sky, sea, and with those things, you know, beasts of the field, birds of the sky, fish of the sea, and ultimately the creation of mankind in God's image. But you have a very important parallel because Genesis 2.1 tells us that there are not only earthly hosts, which we have discussed, there are also heavenly hosts, which we have not yet discussed. Or maybe we discussed them without realizing it. And I think that's the purpose for Genesis 2.1. When you look at that word there, Saba, so you have or Sabah, you have a description of the host of the heavens. Now, there is something that in the previous episode, we touched on it just for a moment, that the celestial objects are later in the scripture confused 
to be gods. They're worshipped. People are going to worship them as gods or as symbols for their gods. Well, what is common in the ancient world is to use celestial objects to talk about spiritual beings. And that takes place in the Bible as well. In fact, if you look at Genesis 1, the celestial objects being the lesser light and the greater light, or the sun and moon, are said to rule over the day and the night. And it mimics the language of man having dominion over the earth. So you have the celestial objects that are ruling over the day and night, ruling over the heavens, and then you have the terrestrial being, man and woman, ruling over the earth. And that may not seem like much of something, anything at all until you come to Genesis 2, 1, that talks about the host of heaven and the host of earth. And unfortunately, we just don't ever think about the heavenly host when we read Genesis 1. And Matt, I think that's unfortunate that we miss it in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, because then Genesis 3 seems to come out of nowhere, right? You know, people, and this is part of why we're doing this project. I want to tip my hat to scholars like Dr. Tim Mackey and Dr. Michael Heiser, who are trying to integrate the reading of the Bible by paying attention to realities seen and unseen. But because we tend to read the Bible as a series of isolated stories, we have no problem with the character list in one scene being angels and people, or in another scene, the devil and people. But we tend to take some of those characters out of view when we're not reading that scene, right? But when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible as a whole, we really don't have that luxury. And so when Genesis 3, you know, when they're tempted by the serpent, and we would all understand the serpent to be, you know, the embodiment of evil, the evil one himself, the devil, you, it begs the question, where did that guy come from? And that makes a lot more sense if Genesis 2.1 is telling us, hey, God not only made these physical realities and these physical beings that you see, there are also spiritual realities and spiritual beings that you may not see. And by, by the way, hand in hand with that, how is God, Matt, for our word, you know, Tzavah, host, how is God often referred to in the Old Testament? The Lord of? The Lord of hosts. Hosts. And who are those hosts understood to be? Well, they're understood to be spiritual beings. Now, even though, here's what I think our conundrum is. Like, when we're listening to someone talk about this, because I remember the first time I was taught this, it sounded familiar and foreign all at the same time. Because growing up, I have no problem accepting that there's a heavenly host. I mean, that that's in my worldview of angels, demons, all these supernatural realities there. I, I, I get that. And I have no problem accepting that there's a physical reality, that we live on this earth and stuff like that. What felt abnormal or strange to me is finding it in Genesis 1. But the reason it's strange to me is because I'm a Westerner. I live post-Enlightenment, and I just don't think it would have been a problem for those first-century people reading the New Testament or the ancient people who had access to the Old Testament in Genesis. In fact, we know this is how they understood the creation language as talking not just about the physical creation, 
but are talking about the spiritual beings as well, because we have their commentary throughout the rest of the Bible that talks about these realities. So a passage that I think of is Psalm 89. In fact, I'll read to you Psalm 89, and I'll ask Gandalf a question here. So Psalm 89.1 starts, and it says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. Now, Gandalf, before I keep reading, I'm going to pick up at verse 5 in a minute. What do you think of, as just a Westerner and how you've grown up hearing the Bible, what do you think of when you hear the word heavens there in Psalm 89? I'm thinking of the cosmos. I'm thinking of stars and planets and celestial bodies. Right. I mean, that's what I grew up thinking. But when you skip down to verse 5, notice what it says. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. Verse number eight, here it is, Nathan, our word. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Oh, by the way, just below that in verse nine, you rule the raging of the sea. Oh, yeah. When its, rave, when its <laughs> waves rise, you steal them. That's right there in Genesis 1-2, right? What we talked about a few weeks back. So here's this psalm that's clearly got language that's tying us back to Genesis 1 and the creation account and expounds on what it means for God to be the Lord of hosts. And it clearly references spiritual beings. That's what we're after in today's episode, that for all of the importance of the things you see in creation, just as important are the spiritual realities you don't see, because that will be essential to a to an integrated cohesive reading of the Bible as a singular story that angels and demons and, you know, the devil himself, these are not just come and go characters. They're operating at all times, but perhaps in different spheres uh, and less focally at times than others, but they're always part of the worldview and the reality that we're discussing. So basically what you're saying is that Genesis 1 is acting kind of like we talked about in the first episodes of the podcast. It's acting like a Chekhov's gun. It's cueing us in to the existence of the supernatural. Yeah. So when again, when we get to Genesis 3 with, you know, the Garden of Eden and the temptation, or when we get to the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2 and there's angels showing up, these figures did not come from nowhere, right? They've been there all along. They're referenced in Genesis 2.1. We're just not accustomed to paying attention to that. Also, I think of another psalm, Psalm 8, Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. There we go. Celestial objects. What is man that you're mindful him of him and the son of man that you care for him? But verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. I don't know if you, you've caught it. But the psalmist is using the celestial objects to talk about spiritual beings. So there's overlap that's going to be found throughout the Bible. By the way, that's that's utilized, isn't it, in Hebrews 1? 
Yeah, Hebrews 1. I also think about just another well-known book, Revelation 1, that angels are referenced as stars. It's not saying stars are angels or angels are stars, but the language of stars is used as a tool to help us explain what angels are. So that language is all rooted in Genesis 1. This is the well that the rest of the Bible is going to dip into for imagery to describe these two realms, the heavens and the earth, the place where the spirits dwell, and then the place where the physical beings dwell. And God is sovereign. He made heavens and the earth, every being in heaven and every being on earth is made by God. Yeah, and, and that terminology that you referenced, the Hebrew word Shemayim, which gets translated heavens, that's kind of tricky for us. It's not even always translated the same way, because usually when we hear Shemayim, we think of either heaven, or a lot of times you see it translated as sky, right? And so when you see it as sky, then you hear you know the language of celestial beings, and you think it's just a reference to stars and things like that, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, biblically, you're saying it functions... Uh, a, a little bit beyond that, at least sometimes. All this talk of interpretations of stars makes me think of that scene in The Lion King, the, the yes. cartoon one, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Not that new stuff, the real the one. The real one. Where they're stargazing, and Simone says, oh, the stars are just fireflies caught up in the big bluish black thing, meaning the sky. And Simba says, no, the my father told me that the stars are the kings of old looking down on us. And then... Puma comes in with, you know, the modern Western interpretation. Oh, I think that the stars are just burning balls of gas, burning billions of miles away. <laughs> and so, so that's us. We're, we're at the Puma stage right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, we're the Pumba of this text. But the language of these celestial objects is used, and the language of Genesis 1 is used to describe to us the relationship that not only God has with the seen world, but as we're seeing in this episode, the relationship that God has with the unseen world, and then ultimately how the unseen world and the seen world interact. When it comes to creation, you can look at Genesis 1-6 and perhaps read it through new eyes today. Genesis 1-6 says this, And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. If you grew up on the King James Version like I did, it was a firmament. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now, in the context that I grew up, I was taught, as, as a child, that this must mean that there was some kind of hydrosphere that was surrounding the earth, and somehow that there was this globe of water that was around the earth, and later that's what's going to flood the world. But I think that misses it because it's a not understanding the language that's used. So the, the word that gets translated, the expanse, or in some uh, translations, and probably a, a better translation of that is firmament. It's, it's not just... It's understood to be an actual barrier. In fact, the Hebrew word for it is rakia. It's actually the idea of a beaten metal plate like copper or iron or something that's been hammered out to form this gigantic heavenly dome that separates the physical realm from the spiritual realm. 
And uh, you see evidence of this uh, in the Psalms, by the way. I think an interesting one uh, to mention is Psalm 19. Uh, in Psalm 19, it says, For the heavens, the Shemayim, declare the glory of God, and the expanse, the Rakiah, proclaims the works of his hands. So you have two different levels there, right? Mm-hmm. You Both of them have proclamation going on, but there's a, there's a difference between them. And, and look at how the Genesis 1 creation account combines that. It has separation of the waters, and one of those gets called Shemayim. So for Psalm 19, Shemayim, heaven, sky, yes, there's proclamation having there, but there's also something on the other side of this expanse. Is that a reference to a spiritual realm is what we're after in today's episode. And in fact, I think that it is, and that's what we're going to argue. And I think that's what's going to be argued by not just Old Testament prophets and wisdom writers, but the New Testament as well. Uh, Yeah, because this comes up in a lot of scenes. You know, it comes up in Isaiah. You have this imagery at the baptism of Jesus in the New Testament. The he- the heavens opening, you know, the, it's almost like the firmament could be compared to a sheet or a veil. Uh, I think of one of the clearest ways that this gets continued through the biblical imagery is when they set up the tabernacle in the temple, right? Just like you have a firmament separating our realm from God's realm, when you build the temple, this place where heaven meets earth and God comes and, t- uh, you know, communes with us, what do they have between the outer and inner part of the temple. They have a very thick veil or curtain. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these scenes, you know, Isaiah, John at the baptism of Jesus, the stoning of Stephen. And so we might be crazy on some things. We're just trying to show we're not crazy in this because you constantly have appeals uh, to these separated realms and spiritual beings unseen that parallel physical beings that are seen in the created order. That reminds me of a quote by... Yuri Gagarin, who was the first man in space, and they asked him what he saw when he came back down. He said, I looked and I looked, but I did not see God anywhere. Yeah, and that's kind of like the uh, illustration I closed on in the last episode. We are convinced uh, that everything that can be known, you know, we're so naturalistic and materialistic in the way we see things. We're convinced that everything that can be known about creation is tangibly observed, right? That if we have a microscope and we can zoom in enough, we can see it. Or if we have a telescope and we can zoom out far enough, we can see it and understand it. For Genesis, it's a fundamentally different way of seeing the world. Yes, the visible reality is important, but the invisible realities are just as real and just as important. And that will be crucial to the biblical storyline. Yeah, and it keeps... uh coming up as this is the way that it's interpreted. I think of Paul, and we've mentioned it in one episode, but we didn't unpack it in this way. But Paul in Colossians 15, when he talks about creation, to show that he's interpreting Genesis 2, 1 and Genesis 1 this way, he says, he being Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Now, if we stopped there, In our Western mindset, we might be thinking, oh, well, God made the universe, outer space. He made all that stuff we can see way up there and also all this stuff way down here. But Paul keeps going. He said, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Paul is saying, listen, the way I read Genesis 1 
is that God made two realms. He made the place of the heavens and the place of the earth, and he's going to tap back into that back in, in Ephesians 6. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 6, you have the armor of God passage. You know, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. So you have an earthly reality armor. We all identify with that. But then you have an unseen spiritual reality, the schemes of the devil. And then he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, physical things that operate in the earthly sphere, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Here it is in the heavenly places. Uh, By the way, this reminds me of earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, when he talks about the prince of the power of the air, the one who is currently at work in the sons of disobedience. There are unseen spiritual realities that parallel visible physical realities. And our point is that's not just something that's here and there in the Bible. That's something, even though we overlook it, that's there from the very beginning. So when, if you even talk to a child and you ask them, hey, where is heaven? Children are going to point up and say up there or where is hell. They're going to point down and say, you know, down there. So there is merit to that because the biblical authors used the sky to talk about heaven, where heaven is. But the way they interpret Genesis 1 is not talking about outer space. It's in a different realm, a different dimension. And that's what we're wanting to drive home here in this podcast, that so frequently we as Western people blaze right through Genesis 1 and focus only on the physical aspect of creation. And now, but to, you know, to not be so hard on us for doing that, there's reasons for that, because we live in an age where there is a battle for the story of creation. Is the created, is, is it the creation of the result of God or the result of chaos of, or a cosmic accident? We've already been over that discussion. There's a reason that we're constantly going back to that story, because the message of this age is that creation is purposeless and that it was just a cosmic accident. So it's understandable that when we look at Genesis 1, that's where we go, because that is the battle we're frequently fighting here in this age. Well, and that, yeah, and Matt, to that point, you know, some of the feedback we've gotten even through email have really said that we're making too little of the age of the earth debate with regard to Genesis one. And so I just want to address that. We're absolutely not saying that the age of the earth debate is inconsequential by all means, have that debate appeal to archeology span appeal to geology. We're just saying that framework is foreign to what Genesis one is talking about. And that's not just some idea that we've conceived to dodge the question or to dodge addressing it. We're saying that when you look at how the other biblical authors utilize Genesis 1, that's not their frame of reference, right? So I, I use the illustration when I'm talking about it. It's it's almost like what happens to Genesis 1 when it gets interpreted is what happens to a lot of people when they date. Sometimes if, if you like someone and you're dating them, you take up things that they like. So let's say I was dating someone who is really into music and man, I become more musical and more savvy with what's on the radio or I, I date someone who's artistic. So I take up painting the lenses through which we view Genesis one so often have been affected by 
who it's dating in that day and time, like what questions and what conversations it's being brought into. But I think Genesis 1 is most beautiful uh, when it's read on its own terms. And I think the biblical authors show us what their understanding of those terms were. And again, the age of the earth discussion is important, but it does not seem to be the discussion that's being engaged in Genesis 1. Well, you guys were not kidding when you talked about how we weren't even scratching the surface of Genesis chapter one. And it's so weird to me to read these verses that I'm very familiar with from my upbringing in New Light. It reminds me of Nicolas Cage in National Treasury. He has to look at the Declaration of Independence, which is a document he's very familiar with. He uses Ben Franklin's spectacles and then he can see new information by seeing it through different lenses. Yes. I'm, I'm very I'm very hesitant to have a reference to National Treasure in the podcast. <laughs> well, Nathan, I'll tell you right now, I will not recant my comments. Uh, about I like Nick's that movie, Gage. The Secret Lies with Charlotte. I like oh, there it movie. is. Yep. We were robbed. We were promised a third one. Disney robbed us. Yes. I'll get off my soapbox now. It's not that it's there. It's that you're not trained to see it, right? Yeah, that's right. And what we're seeing here is that really, if you were an ancient reader, all of this would be more apparent, but because we have to wrestle with the lens, so to speak, of our modern world, it makes it so it's a little bit harder to see. That's it. There's another thing here, is that because this is at the very first of the Bible, it's like, well, you can't really read what's before it to gain the context, but we do have the commentary on it in the rest of the Bible. And I think one of the more obvious commentaries on the spiritual aspect of creation that is not just physical, but it is spiritual, is Second Peter 3. In fact, I just want to point out just a couple of things here in Second Peter 3, and I'll begin in verse number 4. It says, They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now listen to verse 5. Listen to the progression. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, the heavens existed long ago and the earth. Okay. So step one heavens, step two, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So I want you to remember if we're thinking about back to Genesis one, the firmament is what separated. It's that veil that separates the water from the earth. Okay. This separating the realities that it's talking about these two realities that were created, the spiritual and the physical. And it says, continuing in verse number six, actually verse five again, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with the water and perished. Of course, that's referencing forward to where we haven't gone yet, that God is going to allow the earth to be uncreated, that the chaotic waters are going to take back over the creation. as From ge- above and below. From above and below. The separation, the thing that's separating these things are what's going to destroy the earth. But this is not just to be interpreted as physical realities here. So we're not talking about physical H2O sphere of water. We're talking about something more spiritual. Yeah, well, it it might be physical, but we're saying not only physical. In fact, 
One of the good points that Matt made to me that I had not considered is keep moving down in Second Peter chapter three. Uh, it says, but by the same word, the heavens and earth are, that are na- that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It almost brings you back to the that story in the Old Testament of Sodom and Gomorrah being, you know, just you know, burned down with fire from heaven, so to speak. We even, you know, we have all sorts of cultural references to that now. But what's so interesting is when people read the Sodom and Gomorrah story, this was Matt's point to me, no one interprets that purely naturalistically as in, oh, God sent asteroids and meteors to hit Sodom and Gomorrah. They picture that as a spiritual intervention into a physical domain. And so the question that begs is, if it can happen with fire, why not why not let it happen with water? Is that the other side of the coin that Genesis 1 is capturing? And if you have the framework of the water being symbolic of what separates the spiritual from the physical, at least it fits. Absolutely. And two more points to that. Number one, as you read through the Bible, there might be some obstacles for you know our earthly domain of its own accord, reaching into the spiritual realm, but the spiritual realm is never hindered from reaching into the earthly, you know, the physical domain. The other thing I want to say that to me further supports what we're talking about, Genesis 1, the age of the earth discussion, and some of the realities we've been discussing today, is look at how 2 Peter 3 continues. Precisely going into the language of waters and spiritual realities that parallel physical realities. Look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. He's quoting Psalm 90, verse 4 there, which ironically is also about creation. And in both instances, the time frame is, is not the primary facet of consideration, right? It's that God has a plan. He not only knows the time, he knows the timing. And for all that you see, again, for all that you see, there is a God that you don't see behind all of it. And that is something we're going to come back to over and over again. There's more to this story, not less. That's it. Absolutely. So what it really comes down to is we have to read the Bible with allowing ourselves to be open to interpreting it as it was being interpreted or as it was being understood by the original hearers, which for me, that's something that's a little hard to do. (laughs) Right. But it's so basic and fundamental that doesn't it make sense that like Paul would have a better grasp on his commentary on Genesis than a modern commentator. But absolutely. Unfortunately, we just don't think that way sometimes. All right, guys, we are quickly approaching the 30 minute mark here. And if my Spotify metrics tell me anything is that people don't like it to go over 30 minutes. So I say right here, we're going to go ahead and end it. And the thing that you guys always say that it's more, not less, I think bears true now more than ever. I can see it clearly now. And you are definitely a hundred percent right. There was more to Genesis one than I originally thought. So I'm glad we were able to cover that here. It really makes me think. So join us listener next week as we continue on in Genesis chapter two with the part of the Bible that may be a little bit shocking, God resting. We'll see what's up with that, the all-powerful God taking a nap. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Take care. Shalom. Like a rock, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. 
If you like what you've just heard and want to support the show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening. If you have questions or want to contact us, you can visit our website at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com.